From Schwartz Media, I'm Elizabeth Kulas. This is 7am. Charlie Teo is Australia's best-known surgeon. He's also the country's most controversial specialist. Martin Mackenzie Murray on the balance that he asks us to strike between hope and orthodoxy. Charlie Teo is one of Australia's leading neurosurgeons. He's known for his trailblazing work saving lives. But today, Dr Charlie Teo is being forced to defend himself against criticism from a colleague. Henry Wu tweeted, something is seriously wrong if a terminally ill girl with a brain tumour has to raise $120,000. The last bill, for example, of that $120,000, I got $8,000 of it. So, you know, it's not... 120,000, or not even a significant amount that goes to me. Marty, you first wrote about the neurosurgeon Charlie Teo for the Saturday paper two years ago. How did you first come to this story? Two years ago, I received a handwritten letter, uh, a rare, a rare thing these days, from a neurosurgeon that contained a lot of uh, grievances with Charlie Teo. Charlie Teo, arguably Australia's most famous surgeon. He's a neurosurgeon, a state finalist for Australian of the Year. Uh, He's been a fixture, I think, in Australian life, certainly in New South Wales life, for a couple of decades now. Martin Mackenzie Murray is the Saturday paper's chief correspondent. And the neurosurgeon had been incredibly aggrieved by Charlie Teo. There are a number of problems that they said were gnawing at them. Uh, The concerns were that families were almost destituting themselves, selling family assets in order to uh, undertake surgery, very expensive surgery from Charlie Teo, which would otherwise be available um, at world-class levels for free in the public health system. But this neurosurgeon, uh, the author of the letter, wouldn't go on record. But that was the beginning of reporting. I then spoke with about five neurosurgeons and then associated medical specialists like anaesthetists and other specialists that work with neurosurgeons. Not one of them would go on record. But that was two years ago? Yes. And now? Uh, About a week ago, a professor, uh, Henry Wu, who's a urologist and professor of surgery, put his name to a criticism of, of Charlie Teo. He did this on Twitter. Um, he said in one tweet that if families felt the need to raise upwards of $120,000 uh, for surgery that could otherwise be performed for free, he found that uh, really disturbing were his words. So you've talked about these fees that Teo charges. They're exorbitant by some accounts from others in the industry. How does he justify them? The surgical costs will vary, but some might be $120,000. He says two-thirds of that will go to the hospital itself, and then of the remaining, say, $40,000, most of that is partitioned amongst a large and expensive team, anaesthetists, nurses, registrar. Um, So he says from $120,000, he might pocket only $8,000. And why do you think the media found Teo so exciting, so kind of worthy of coverage? Why were they supporting him? He's somewhat exotic in that he's a neurosurgeon. What an extraordinary job. And he's a very gifted one. His critics will talk about his fine hands, his good hands. He's a talented man. But he also presents himself and is readily accepted by the media as as this great rebel, a man that detests pomposity, 
are a man whose brilliance just wants to express itself by saving lives if only the pricks would let him. And those pricks are timid bureaucrats um, and inferior surgeons who are jealous of his abilities. So he presents himself as both this virtuosic rebel, but also I find this uh, almost this Trumpism elitism in in the story about Charlie Teo. I think the people see this uh, fine hero that keeps being thwarted by timidity, um, cowardice, uh, and professional jealousies. Um, a neurosurgeon said to me this morning that Henry Wu was either incredibly brave or incredibly naive to come out and criticize Charlie Teo. I heard more than once the same phrase. Criticizing Charlie Teo would be like shooting Bambi. So valorized is Charlie Teo, uh, and so collegial is the relationship between Charlie Teo and the media. When you were first covering Teo, I assume you also spoke to a number of patients that he may have worked with or their families. What happened to some of them? So he's not just beloved of the media, he's beloved of the families that sought his help. Um, I spoke with the mother of Luke Westaway. He was a man with an aggressive brain tumour. He did die. The family believe, however, that Charlie Teo added about three months to Luke's life, three months which they cherished. And the mother was very insistent on the warmth um, and humanity, not just the skill of Charlie Teo. And the families who have had loved ones treated by Charlie Teo almost uniformly praise Charlie Teo. Now, these are people in extraordinarily difficult circumstances. It might be a very, very young child that has an aggressive brain tumour. It's, it's, it's important to be sensitive to the kind of profundity of their grief and desperation. Um, but the question that was put to me by neurosurgeons critical of Charlie Teo is that it's very difficult to be remorseful of such huge expenditure that you will find any way to justify it. And those three months will come to seem uh, beautiful and necessary. Uh, they were also concerned that there were these patterns in how we reported, how the media reported on Charlie Teo by selling it almost as miracles, that he was a miracle worker. And yet you would see this pattern that for every story about life-saving surgery, there'd be a subsequent obituary, sometimes just months later. And how is it that surgeons decide when to operate? Uh, th well, this is the ethical rub, really. I mean, this is one of the central animating fixtures of the debate between Charlie Teo and most of the neurosurgical fraternity. That is, he will do operations, which others have said is inoperable. Now, by inoperable, surgeons don't mean that it's physically impossible to do. As a neurosurgeon put to me, they can remove wholly a brain, technically. The question is whether they should. So when they say something is inoperable, um, that patient has been looked at by a team of specialists, not just the neurosurgeon. There'll be an oncologist involved, other specialists, and a cost-benefit analysis has been done. And that cost-benefit analysis commends not operating. And Tio himself offers something different? He offers hope. And he would say that it would be condescending to remove a patient's ability to choose for themselves. We'll be right back. As a 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. 
That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. Get the news you need to your inbox every weekday morning with Post. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Marty, when you last wrote about Tio a few years back, you did speak to him yourself. Tell me about that interview. Uh, Charlie Tio is you know, there's a formidable confidence to the man. You know, as I reported a couple of years ago, it's churlish, I think, to to criticise surgeons' confidence, especially in neurosurgeons. You know, they're dealing with such extraordinarily delicate organ. Um, an errant cut can mean profound damage to the patient. He spoke of the pro bono work internationally. Uh, he said countries routinely fly him over to perform surgery. Um, Singapore and India he gave as examples. When I asked him how he felt about media reporting and I suggested that it creates not so much a reputation as a mystique about him and that much of the reporting um, was misleading and, and sloppy. It mischaracterized what um, an aggressive brain tumor is. He agreed that quite a bit of media reporting is exaggerated. But he reiterated the point that when he's in that consultation room with a patient, he's laying it all out for them very clearly and very honestly, and then they can make a decision. So does he buy into the idea that he might be giving people and giving patients false hope? No, not at all. He gave a TED talk uh, a few years ago. Thank you. When you turn on the TV and surf the channels, it's invariably that you'll see a story about death and disaster. And the title of it was uh, False Hope. There's no such thing. As doctors caring for patients who have been given the diagnosis of a terminal illness but who remain hopeful, our job is to respect and nurture that hope, not shatter it. False hope? There's no such thing. So that's, that's his position. But he also told you, didn't he, about a man that he operated on whose life was extended by 16 weeks. And for him, that was a success. Yeah, Charlie Teo said he operated on a man and gave him probably another four months of life. And this man, in his gratitude, bought a dog and named the dog after Charlie Teo. In those four months, he also got married. Neurosurgeons, again, would come back to the point that the surgery, if deemed beneficial, can be done for free. And if it's not deemed beneficial, then there's probably a good reason for that. And Charlie Teo would come back and say, I laid it all out. I didn't withhold anything from the man. He could decide. And I gave him four months. And what about the efficacy of his work? Is there evidence out there of how successful he's been? No, so this is a little opaque. There's certainly kind of uniform agreement that he's a gifted surgeon. You know, no one's suggesting that he's incompetent at all. But he often boasts of greater efficacy, greater results, um, more refined procedures. 
But he hasn't published many of these results. There's an opacity about the actual effectiveness. And this is something that his critics keep raising. And do you think there's any value at all to the claim that his peers in the industry, in the profession, might be jealous? I can't speak for all of them, but no, in short. I mean, I spoke to a good number of neurosurgeons and and then associated specialists who work with neurosurgeons. And I think we often keep coming back to these discussions about are his critics jealous? Are his critics racist? That often gets far more airtime than the substantive ethical questions at the heart of the Charlie Teo controversy. That's a real shame. One neurosurgeon told me this morning that given it was Dr. Henry Wu who made these criticisms, he's somewhat inoculated from those criticisms, from the racism because he's a man of Asian heritage, from the charge of jealousy because he's at the peak of his profession but in another discipline, which is urology. So Henry Wu has done the debate a service, this neurosurgeon said, by kind of deflecting some of that criticism. Marty, in many ways this is a story where you're weighing up kind of the balance between hope and medical orthodoxy. Did you make up your mind through your reporting one way or the other? On the issue of patient autonomy, no. I mean, there's... That is that is vexed. So Charlie Theo absolutely has a point to say, I find it condescending that I would think that these people aren't capable of making up their own minds. Simultaneously, I find it persuasive that the idea of informed patient consent about something so complicated and in a time of such extraordinary emotional terror, it's fraught. Can you say that consent actually exists? And now another problem here is that I think in all of these discussions, the public health system is denigrated. And I think these lofty expectations that are created by the media, but Charlie Teo assists in in developing them, and I'm not saying it's deliberate, but the consequence, I think, is a denigrated public health system. And people who don't either A, understand that they can receive the surgery for free, or B, they, they realise that but think it inferior. And I don't think either of these things are true. Thank you, Marty. Thank you. Sloane Crosley is known for her funny and acerbic personal essays. But her new memoir digs much deeper to examine the loss of her best friend. Join me, Michael Williams, as I chat with Sloane about Grief is for People. Find it wherever you listen. Elsewhere in the news... Sometimes when we talk about, you know, press freedom, to people who aren't in the media, that can sound like a bit of a cliché, but we should feel uncomfortable about this. The Australian Federal Police have raided the ABC's headquarters in Sydney with a search warrant that named journalists Dan Oakes and Sam Clark, as well as the ABC's Director of News, Gavin Morris. The raid relates to stories published in 2017, showing misconduct by Special Forces troops in Afghanistan. This misconduct included possible unlawful killings. The AFP says that the raid was not connected to Tuesday's raid on the home of a News Corp journalist. The ABC editorial director, Craig McMurtry, said the police raid was, quote, a very unwelcome and serious development. And four people have been killed in Darwin in a series of shootings allegedly carried out by one gunman. The shootings took place over the course of an hour on Tuesday evening. The alleged killer is now in custody. This is 7am. I'm Elizabeth Coolass. See you Friday. <laughs> 